Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. Activism is a big word, but at its heart, it's simply about people who set their minds to do something that promotes change beyond the individual. Sometimes folks committed to a cause, like Mary Osco, a lifelong North St. Louis County resident who rallied for awareness of radioactive contamination, do see some change happen. Mary was instrumental, for instance, in getting Hazelwood's St. Sin Park closed in 2015 while its soil was being tested. While she saw other wins thereafter, Mary lost her biggest battle this February when she lost her nine-year fight with cancer, an illness she and her family attribute to years of exposure to radioactive waste from the Manhattan Project. Here to honor the life Mary lived and spotlight the work her family, loved ones, and community are determined to carry on, we have Gerard Osco, Mary's husband. Thank you for being here. And Kristen Camuso, Mary's friend and St. Louis Community Outreach Specialist with the Missouri Coalition for the Environment. Kristen also started Humans of Westlake. Welcome back to the show, and deep condolences to you both. Gerard, tell us, when did you meet Mary, and did you happen to grow up together in St. Anne? No, no, we didn't. Um, she had gone to Rittner. I was from Pattonville, and um, I met her through uh, one of our friends. Mm-hmm. And did you have some community in common? Just the, the fact that we both grew up in, uh, in North County, and we had we had some of the, some of the same friends, mm-hmm. and that's how we, like I said, that's how we had met us through uh, mutual friends. And one of the things um, about Mary is that she you know, she lived and grew up um, here in the St. Louis area, right. and you you've just mentioned North County. Um, was there ever any point at which she moved away from the area? Did she ever live outside St. Louis? No, she's always uh, lived in, in North County, mm-hmm. uh, even while going to school, college, uh, was, was all in this North County area. So when you did get married, did you settle in St. Anne? Where did you end up living? In um, in Hazelwood and Maryland Heights, where we, after we'd gotten married, we had an apartment in uh, Hazelwood. Our first house was in Maryland Heights, and then we moved to uh, our second house in Hazelwood, which was a is still our current residence. Mm-hmm. And this is where you had your children. Yes, it is. And you have two. Yes. Yes. Boy and a girl. Okay. And did they also go to school there in that area? Yes. Yes, they did. So, your life stories then are very much um, based in North St. Louis. Exactly. Yes. When did you begin to notice that uh, she was having some um, some physical challenges? Well, when she she had uh, late in life, she decided to go back to school, and uh, she went back to she went to nursing school. She wanted to become a nurse in order to help people, and in I guess early twenty thirteen. 
she started having pains and went to the doctor multiple times and um, they just could never really, you know, figure anything out. And um, I remember um, Thanksgiving of 2013, we had had the whole family at, at our house for Thanksgiving dinner. And after everything was done, put away, she was laying in bed and the pain that she had was so intense had to take her to the ER. And uh, so we got her to the ER. They couldn't really find anything, gave her some, some pain meds and, and, and sent her home. Well, the next day we were back in the ER again and gave her some more pain meds. And then that is when they, they did some scans. And that is when they found um, the mass on her lungs. And that's what was causing the uh, the pain in her back area. <clears throat> and up but, until then, there had been no no signs otherwise. No, other than the pain that she had had. Um, like I said, she had been going through nursing school, and uh, she you know, was was doing fine up until that point. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yes, when we got the uh, the word, and then at the very beginning of December of, of 2013 is when we got the call that that tumor uh, was uh, was cancerous. Mm-hmm. How did you deal with that as a family? What were the conversations that you were having around that, particularly if there were no reasons that lung cancer would be something that would be in our body? Right, e- exactly, because Mary was a never smoker. And it was with the fact that she was we got the, the diagnosis one week before she was supposed to walk for graduating for a nursing degree. So she had this knowledge of, of what cancer was and the type that she had, and she knew that that was her death sentence. Mm-hmm. And she, she never did. She never was able to practice nursing because of it, because of the pain and all the... Uh, the treatment and everything that that came about and it was she just it was it hurt because of the fact that everything that she had gone through she had found her her what she felt like was her true passion late in life and she was not going to be able to practice that and and live that because that was what she wanted to do very badly and it just didn't didn't materialize for her and it was she was angry over that got very upset because she, you know, she had worked so hard for it, and um, and I just kind of step up to, to now. Currently, as you know, she's passed away, and I've been going through some of her stuff, and she she held on to all of her nursing stuff, her books and notebooks and everything, and, and I'm looking through that now, and I'm I'm just saying I'm just amazed at what she did for all that. And how difficult it was for her. And I'm, I'm just, you know, more impressed now, even than than when uh, than when she was doing it. When I just really look at what all the work that she did to accomplish something, and it it just didn't materialize for her. That NCLEX is very difficult to pass as well. She, she, we had told her to go to take the NCLEX and she just she didn't want to do it didn't want to do it but what she did was 
she kind of snuck out on her own and she took it and she passed and um, everybody was just so proud of her and and you know she could have that RN behind her name because she earned it she earned that RN behind her name even though she would not be able to practice it was hers and um, I made her every year renew her license so that she could have that keep that RN behind her name and through you know her illness lasted for many years not over nine years so she was our our family's go-to nurse mm-hmm. you know we 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 used her knowledge that she had gained in school to to quiz her on everything that we could about this that and other thing and even when the when the grandkids started coming along our daughter would say hey you what do you think about this and so, and so on you know she would give her some recommendations so and that and that made Mary feel good also the fact that we did ask and inquire about it because we knew that she had the knowledge and it sounds like she was able to start a a different kind of career which was brought about by unfortunate circumstances but she became an outspoken activist how did that begin you know, we were always, I guess, you know, puzzled. We couldn't figure out why, you know, she had gotten sick. It nothing really made sense, and you know, we were we were dealing with it. And I guess a short time after her diagnosis, we started hearing about the contamination uh, from the Manhattan Project and, and the waste in Coldwater Creek, which we live right next to, St. Sin Park, right next to our house is a place where Mary walked all the time. Mm-hmm. Daily, she was walking in that park to stay in shape. And uh, when we started looking into it, uh, we started hearing on the news stuff about the contamination. And then there was a, a meeting with the uh, uh, Army Corps of Engineers and, and, and FUSRAP in a local community center uh, real close to our house. So. We, you know, we wanted to go to that. And then also in the, prior to that, people had started reaching out to us and, you know, giving us some information. And we were, you know, gathering our own information and speaking with people. And uh, we went to the meeting and they were asking if anybody wanted to get up and, and speak. Mary has always had the gift to speak. And she's she speaks very well and boldly and she speaks her convictions and she got up and and spoke and that just kind of started it you know she gave in a sense her her testimony of what had happened to her because of living in the proximity proximity to Coldwater Creek and that led to other people uh, approaching her and asking her and doing other interviews and so she was always Early on, when she had when she had the energy, before the the cancer was growing and the treatments were were bringing her down, uh, she she did speak a lot to people because she wanted people to know what what had happened to her, and, and let other people in the area know that you know you need to be aware of this and be conscious of it, and you know be. Do your own research. Also, she wanted to make sure people did research to see if they were at risk for any of the, the these issues, health issues. 
Kristen, at what point did you meet Mary? Was it during one of these kinds of meetings that Jared has mentioned or has described? Uh, yes, I actually first met Mary at the same Army Corps of Engineers FUSRAP meeting um, where she got up and told her story. Um, and, and for me, that was the first time that I think the way that she was so descriptive and in, in, in telling her story about taking that journey through the Great White Tube, um, which is, for those that don't know, um, an MRI scan or a CAT scan typically. And I had also just recently been diagnosed with cancer. And so it was It was kind of, we all started connecting the dots together, I think, about what was going on in our community right around the same time. Um, and I think when I, when I heard her speak, she moved me to, to further action. You know, I was, I was involved mostly at that point with the Westlake Landfill um, and the contamination, the, West, the Manhattan Project contamination that was there. But this was the first time that I had gone to a, a meeting about Coldwater Creek. And I remember... Um, I currently work for an organization now, Missouri Coalition for the Environment, and at the time, um, our executive director was also a uh, member of the oversight committee for the Army Corps, and she was kind of moderating um, that meeting. And I remember after Mary spoke, she stood up and she said, I want everybody to remember her name. And when you go out and you do this work, do this for Mary. And I think that lit a fire in me that, that I not only was already kind of motivated, but I think it, it also helped me really recognize what had been done to me also and what is being done to other people. And uh, it, it really just, like I said, lit a fire under me. And, and I've been going ever since, and I will continue to do this for Mary. Why have you decided to stay in the area you are now especially given what you know um, about the environmental hazard that played into you know, Mary's illness and her, and her untimely passing? It's mainly financial because of the fact of where we're located at. Um, the contamination was right next to our house. And so that's, that's hurt our value our property value and i'm at you know i'm at i'm at the age now where i don't want another mortgage on a house so it's am i taking a chance sometimes i feel like yeah i'm taking a chance you know we you know we would have liked to have moved a long time ago uh, but the opportunity just didn't happen so i'm i'm there um when our when our grandkids come over, you know, we're right next to that park. I'm, I don't take them down to the park. You know, there's a, a park further at the other end of the street that I, you know, that I take them to. So I, I'm just going to do the best that I can where I'm at there. And you know, I, I hope and pray that it, you know, I'm not affected by it. And you know, if I just kind of step back with what, what Kristen was saying. The knowledge, getting people the knowledge of what's out there. If we could have known that we were living in a, in a hazardous area, Mary could have been getting tested prior, you know, to the diagnosis. Because we, you know, we didn't know that we needed to be looking for anything. Sure. And then all of a sudden, it's there. And when it was there, it was too late. We need to take a quick break. 
This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. I'm Elaine Cha. We're remembering the life and activism of Mary Osco with her husband Gerard and friend Kristen Camuso. When Mary was out there talking with people, what did it seem like folks responded to most strongly? I, I think part of it is um, she spoke with a lot of passion and she wanted to let people know what the effect has, you know, has done, you know, to her, her and sense, our family. Because the, you know, our kids were out of the house. She was graduating nursing school. She had a job, a nice job lined up. She was going to continue her education. And, you know, we, we had dreams of what we were going to do, you know, down the road. Things were, you know, financially going to change, you know, drastically pretty good for us and that didn't materialize so the this contamination this waste destroyed our dreams it destroyed the you know the hope that we had as you know we said you know we were going to grow old together and you know we ended up I mean we were married 42 years and you know, I, who knows how much longer we it would have been. You know, if Mary wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have gotten sick, and it, she just wanted to let people know that she wanted people to know that there was an issue, that there was that the soil was contaminated, and that something needed to be done about it. She was really adamant of the fact of you know wanting more testing to be done. In more areas and more location, even even by us, it, it took a lot for them before they would finally even uh, talk to, or, or before they would test in our yard, mm-hmm. uh, which they finally did, and you know nothing, you know the tests were negative, but I feel like this with this contamination, it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack because it's spread all over the place, mm-hmm. but just to be made she wanted to make sure that people were aware of what we were dealing with in this area and you know we needed help i mean because we had with everything that we were having to deal with with uh all the medical issues and stuff like that it it just changed everything and what we had to deal with every day in our lives it changes the day-to-day not just the the bigger picture um Kristen, in terms of what you were able to witness, were there any changes that you can trace directly back to um, some of the things that Mary did or Mary said? 
Uh, yes, absolutely. So to reference back to that same Army Corps meeting that we were all at, um, one of the things that came to light there was that they were not going to close the park, St. Sin Park, while they were cleaning it up. And if it's actually a scene in, in the HBO documentary Atomic Homefront where, where this plays out and you can see the, the entire crowd is like, wait, what? You're, you're not going to close the park? And, and Hazelwood's response was, is, well, where are the kids going to go if we close the park? And we quickly were like, well, we have to do something. And mm -hmm. so we, we organized a small group of people and we went door to door throughout Gerard and Mary's neighborhood, um, got a petition signed, and Mary actually hand delivered it to the city of Hazelwood. And within a couple of days, that park was shut down. And, and so I think that is a testament to what people can do when they organize and work together on this issue. And the, the sad thing is, as I want to make clear, is that when we were going door to door and we were talking to people in the neighborhood, most people, and, and keep in mind the Army Corps had been in this park for at least a few weeks, maybe even before we knew about it, maybe even longer. And the people in the neighborhood had no idea what was going on down there. In fact, most of them just assumed that, that new playground equipment was being put in. And so they were still sending their children mm -hmm. to go play there, you know, just like you would. That's a, that's an oasis to kids, you know, it has a, how awesome it is to have a, a park in your neighborhood and, and on top of it, a creek that you can play in, sure. you know. Um, so so I will think that, that 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 will be, for me, Mary's legacy. Mm -hmm. Last week, you and some others went to Jefferson City. Mm -hmm. What happened there, and, and what were you there to do? Uh, we were there to, to testify and, and essentially share our stories of how this Manhattan Project waste uh, throughout the region has impacted uh, the community um, at large. I mean, this is, this is an issue that starts downtown in St. Louis and spans out to Weldon Springs in St. Charles County. So this is a regional issue. This isn't just one site. Um, this, this is pretty far spread. Um, and there was a, a House concurrent resolution that was introduced by uh, State Representative Tricia Burns uh, to, to basically urge the Missouri Department of Natural Resources, the uh, Missouri Attorney General, and the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services to investigate on whether or not we qualify to be included in some of the federal health programs that already exist for people that have been exposed to the Manhattan Project waste. And we essentially just organized again organized uh, and, and brought the region together and went down and testified uh, and, and shared our personal stories. It was humbling and deeply moving to be a part of it. Um, unfortunately, it was also very hard to, to process and, and listen to all of these stories because while we, we I, I'm a cancer survivor, obviously uh, Mary has her story, we are just a speck in this, in this issue. Um, there's so many people that, that share our, our experience. Mm -hmm. And every story is a life exactly. connected to other lives. Mm -hmm. How does it feel to hear friends of Mary's like Kristen talk about how much Mary inspired and impacted them? I, I, I love to hear that. I mean, it, mean, it means a lot, especially someone like Kristen that has a lot of the, the knowledge of, you know, what's all transpired, you know, in the area with the waste and everything. And Mary kind of wanted to leave that that legacy of you know getting that helping to get that knowledge out there. And again, she 
she was passionate when when she when there was something on her mind and on her heart she loved to speak about it and again she did probably for about three or four years until it, it got to be you know too too much for her and she just got too tired to really do this anymore and but I I, I love to hear it because that's going to be the story that you know her grandkids will hear the other day I was sitting even last night sitting and listening to some of the interviews that that she had done one of them was from from NPR and in 20 I believe it was 2015 you know and they came to our house and, and interviewed her and myself and um, it was hard some was very hard to listen to and and to see and but it's it's something that's going to go forward and Hopefully, it's going to mean something down the road yet for people. As Kristen said, we're just a couple people here, um, but there are thousands of people that have been so affected by this contamination. In these last couple minutes, Gerard, is there anything you would like people to know to carry on or continue the work Mary was part of? I I would like to, if, if people... Um, you know, one of the things that, that, that Kristen mentioned also, and it really, it did bother me, it still bothers me, is the amount of people in the area that didn't know, and some people still don't know, you know, what all is involved with this contamination and, and what they're living by. I, I would like people to, to be, you know, more outspoken about it and to, to do their research on it. And, you know, I look forward, you know, for many years there were were times where I couldn't go to some of the meetings and I I hope to now maybe go to some of these meetings again and, and, you know, maybe get a little more involved if the opportunity is there because I I want people to to know that, you know, that we need help. You know, our our government needs to give these people help and give something uh, and not just give a, a yes, you know, and a, a pat on the back, say, you know, we're sorry for what's going on, uh, because our government is responsible for this. They've allowed it, they allowed it to happen and continue to happen. Gerard Osco is the husband of Mary Osco, a community activist who passed last month after a nine-year battle with cancer. Christian Camuso became close friends with Mary as they worked together on advocacy around radioactive contamination issues. This episode was produced by Maya Norfleet. Our audio engineer is Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. 
Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.